Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, we're going to look at the book of Acts today. Uh, we've spent the past few weeks in the book of Acts. We're going to do uh, one more message as we continue to look at Acts chapter 2, the last several verses of Acts chapter 2. So encourage you to find a Bible, take out a Bible. If you brought one with you, um, open up to Acts chapter 2. And we've been looking specifically at the events that took place before and after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And last week we looked at Acts 2 and, and the events on that day of Pentecost, that incredible day when the church was born and, and what happened on that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples and how God worked in miraculous and unexplainable ways. And remember how he did that, how he brought people uh, to that festival, that festival of Pentecost uh, from, from all over the inhabited world. And they all came into Jerusalem and uh, God used that time and that day to bring people from all around the world together in one place to ultimately hear the gospel message, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and to hear the truth about who Jesus is and what he did through his death and resurrection and how he, how he brings new life and how he brings salvation for anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. It says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And we come to uh, the, uh, toward the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is after... Peter's uh, great sermon on that day of Pentecost, and, and it said, remember last week we talked about how God's word just uh, cut to their hearts. It said uh, that they were cut to the heart, and, and they said, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And, and Peter, remember, he said something very simple, but so deep and so loving and so forgiving. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of eternal life. And, and Acts 2, 41, then it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want you to imagine that for a second. Uh, remember earlier in the book of Acts, there were, it says about 120 disciples and followers of Jesus that gathered and they awaited the power of the Holy Spirit. They were gathered in one place. And then all of a sudden, in one day, they go from 120 to over 3,000. Imagine what that day must have been like. Imagine if that happened here today. I mean, I mean, I don't know that there'd be enough coffee to go around. I think, Raleigh, you'd be busy back in the kitchen all day trying to get that coffee going. And, and just imagine, you know, just the, the, the floods of people and just the ways that God was moving. And, 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 and I mean, 3,000 people that came to know Jesus Christ that day. And it was that day that the church was born. And the message of Jesus, what we now know as the message of Christianity began to grow and began to spread that day. And now we come to the end of Acts 2. And, and what we see then is, is, okay, what happens next? And we see this beautiful portrait of the church as it first started out. And, and what was it that happened that day after all those people got saved? That's what we're going to read today. Acts 2, starting at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful picture of this reality of what happened in the early church in the ways that you brought people together. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Help us learn from this. Help us to, um, to seek to model after this as your church, as your people in this world. Speak to us today. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I would imagine many of you have heard this passage before, and, and um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a popular one as we think about the formation of the church and, um, and church life, as we often look to Acts 2.42, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful picture, it really is a beautiful picture of what the early church started out as, and doesn't I mean, isn't it just a beautiful portrait? It sounds honestly like something out of a dream as I was reading. It just sounds so miraculous and so harmonious. And, and I would kind of imagine like if, if Hallmark made a movie about the perfect church, I think it would sound something like this, like it, like it does here in Acts 2. It all sounds so happy and, and harmonious. And, and the truth is, it really was. It was harmonious. God was doing miracles among them left and right. It was a time of peace among the first followers of Jesus. And the picture of the church community that's described here, I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of this type of church? I think we all would. And we all are in many different ways, but I think as we think of church life, um, sometimes what we can do is we can hear this beautiful description and see this beautiful portrait of a reality of the early church, and we can start to think really negatively about the current state of the church worldwide or even here in America. And I've, I've talked to so many Christians who have been in search of this ideal church that matches so perfectly what's described here in Acts 2. And maybe some of you have, have met people like that, that, that are just, we just really want to find a church that, is, that just really matches what, what we read about in Acts chapter 2, the early church. Or I, I've known many pastors as well who have maybe grown discontent with their own church and, and they've become determined to go off and start their own church, which, which is not a bad thing. We, we need more churches, but, but sometimes it can be motivated because uh, they, they might say something like, well, we really just want to, as much as possible, get back to what, this, what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2, and I'm not seeing it in my own church right now, so I'm going to go try that somewhere else. 
And don't get me wrong, again, the model that we see, it, it should be something that we seek after and something that we follow for the church. But we cannot be deceived into thinking that it's easy or that it just happens naturally. First and foremost, it, who is it? Who is it that ultimately builds and grows the church? Who is it? It's, it's God. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the one who said, he said about himself, he said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus is in charge of the church. And second, church life and discipleship, our lives as followers of Jesus, does not come easy, does it? It's hard work. It takes dedication. It takes commitment. It takes intentionality. And, and my challenge for all of us as followers of Christ, as, as believers, is, is are we willing to be the church that d- is described in Acts chapter 2? Or are we just looking for an Acts 2 type of church to go to? Are, are we willing to be the church that's described here? Because what can often happen is that we can seek to reap the benefits of a church like this without that hard work of, of church life and that hard work of discipleship. And it says here in verse 42, one word that's very important here. It says that they devoted themselves to this life of discipleship. And this word devoted here, it means to adhere with strength to something. To give undivided attention and undivided devotion to this new life in Jesus Christ. That's what that word means. And and that doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't happen without effort. Now we know that, that there's no effort in being saved. We know that Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. But the verse after that says that we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as we look a little further into these verses here, there are five different commitments, renewed commitments that I want us to make today in our spiritual lives uh, for spiritual growth and for community as believers in Jesus. Five renewed commitments. And I want to clarify as we get going here, these are not five commitments that we just check the boxes as we go through our Christian life. Because that's not what the Christian life is all about. Again, Jesus purchased our salvation on the cross. There's, there's, there are no boxes that we have to check off to please God. It's all a gift of his grace. These are not obligations of commitments either. They're not to be motivated by what, just what we must do, but they ought to be motivated because there are blessings in these commitments. Blessings from God Almighty, blessings from Jesus Christ as as he draws us closer and closer to him in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. And the first commitment, the first renewed commitment is to commit to being a lifelong learner of God's word. 
Isn't there kind of a notion in our society that, that once we learn something or we learn a certain subject or we say, ter- take a certain class, and then we're done and we kind of cross that off the list and, and we move on? We do that throughout our years in school, don't we? Just kind of check the box and, and get that thing out of the way, get that class out of the way, get that subject done, and we, and we move on. We just get through, and, and, and then we're done. We get that certificate, or we get that diploma, and then we move on with life. But that's not what God calls us to as we think about ourselves being lifelong learners of God's word. These disciples, as we see, they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. Now, I want to point out that, uh, that they, they devoted themselves to the teaching because they didn't have what I'm holding here in my hand. They didn't have a compilation of all the scriptures into this beautiful book that we have that we call the Bible. And so they gathered day after day regularly, consistently, and devoted themselves to being taught by the apostles as then the apostles then, then uh, uh, pointed them to Jesus and explained how these prophecies throughout the Old Testament, how they ultimately pointed to Jesus. They took time to hear from the apostles about the works of Jesus, the life of Jesus, what he did on this earth and what his mission was as he went to the cross, as he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind and then rose again from the dead to defeat death once and for all forever and to purchase for us eternal life in heaven with him. And day after day, they would come back and they would, they would learn and grow and, and understand the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's a key in our spiritual life is that we would be lifelong learners of God's word. And in fact, I, I, I struggled with this a little bit as I was looking over this passage because I think it was about three years ago, I actually preached a message on this very same passage. And I thought, oh, I, should, I, should I share this again? Should we take time to study this passage again? And I was convicted in the process, realizing that, that God always has something new to teach us. In fact, we could look at this very same passage next week and and see new insights and new ways that God wants to speak to us. And I've been very blessed as a pastor here at Good Shepherd to see so many of you week after week coming and and eagerly taking in the teaching of God's word. And, And I believe that that's a key to growing in spiritual maturity and understanding who God is and knowing him through his word. But that doesn't always come easy, does it? There might be Sundays or week after week, there may be times that, it, that, that the teaching doesn't just grab your attention as much. And I'm sure there might be Bible studies that you'd prefer to skip because maybe that topic doesn't seem as relevant to you. Or a certain week that just doesn't grab you. But my encouragement for each one of us today is to stay committed to learning and growing in God's word, even when it's hard to understand or even when you're tempted to give up. And especially, especially when you're tempted to think, well, I've learned that before. I've heard the gospel message before. I've heard, I've read about the life of Jesus. I already, I already know it all, especially when you're tempted to think that. And here's why this is so deeply important is because we need the gospel 
We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the good news regularly. In fact, we need to hear the good news day after day as we live in this, in this broken world, as the devil seeks to speak lies to us, to get us to doubt who we are in Jesus Christ, to get us to doubt that we're forgiven, that we're, that we're cleansed, that, to get us to doubt that we're saved. What we need day after day is to hear the promises of God's word, like Romans 8, 1, that says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to hear those words from Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace alone. We need to hear those words, as I just prayed a few moments ago in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us and purify us. We need to hear over and over and over again who God has made us to be in Jesus Christ. And so first, commit to being a lifelong learner of God's word. Second, commit to intentional prayer. There's, this is something else that the early disciples devoted themselves to. It says, to the prayers there were certain Jewish liturgical prayers that they would come together and recite together, but it was so much more than just a ritual. It was a calling upon the power of God. It was placing all their needs and all their burdens before the Lord. And as they saw God do miracles, they saw then his power at work. And, and I'm sure that made them just want to pray all the more. And something that I've been learning in my own prayer life is that Prayer begets more prayer. Frequently, the more that we pray, the more we want to pray. But at the same time, there's a challenge that comes along with that because the more we pray, the more the devil hates that. The more the devil seeks to distract us from being devoted in prayer. But as we come before the Lord and as we continue to grow that relationship with him and pour out our hearts before him and, and praise him and confess before him and, and once again receive his promises of salvation, we're encouraged and, and, we, and we have that opportunity and blessing to be able to come and bring our burdens before him over and over and over again, casting all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us as the scripture says. The other thing is that prayer unites hearts together. Maybe you've experienced this in your own prayer life or with other people of how it's united you together in, in the, with the hearts of, of other believers in your life. And um, this year, just this year, been so grateful that uh, myself and a couple of our elders, uh, we've committed to, to pray, get together to pray once a week. And I got to tell you, it is a very simple prayer meeting. It takes no planning other than saying, hey, we're meeting you know, tomorrow morning. We'll meet in person or we're going to meet on FaceTime and, and we, we get together. We don't have a list. We don't have a prayer schedule. We don't have anything written out. We just get together and start praying. And it's amazing what happens because we start to praise God for who he is as we pray. We start to confess our sins and failures. We start to thank God for who he is and his love and his grace toward us. 
And we start to, to ask of him and place our requests before him. And just as, as people and situations come to mind, placing those things before him. And it's been so refreshing and it's been so amazing to see how that prayer time unites our hearts together. It was Socrates, actually, that once said about, not about prayer, but about play. He said, you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. And I believe that same principle applies to prayer. So you can learn more about a person and grow in relationship with a person more in a half hour of prayer than maybe a year of conversation. And I want to challenge each of us today, even as you think about even the rest of your summer, maybe it's a commitment that you would make for the rest of the summer, or maybe as you look ahead to the fall, to find one or two people that you would commit to pray together with once per week. That's my challenge. And, and, and start simple, even if it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes, and, and don't make it complicated. It can be, um, you could meet together at a park. You could meet, to, meet together in someone's, on someone's front porch, in their garage. Uh, you could even meet together on FaceTime or on Zoom. In fact, this past week, our prayer meeting, it was, it was kind of a last minute. Um, we didn't, weren't sure if we were going to do it. We got together on FaceTime and we just began praying. It was incredible. And God united our hearts in that way. Don't make it complicated. Just get together and start praying, and God will place those things on your heart as you pray. So commit to intentional prayer. The third commitment is to commit to long-haul community. I'd like to argue that true Christian community doesn't actually happen apart from God's word and apart from prayer. Community and fellowship is, is a byproduct of the gospel. It's a result of, of our salvation, of learning God's word together, of praying together. And this is part of what makes up this beautiful picture here in Acts 2. It was something that the early Christians devoted themselves to. It says to the fellowship. And this happens by spending time together. And we get a glimpse of this in verse 46. It says, and day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, what I want to point out about this is that there were no shortcuts to this. Think about how many people gathered day after day and, and they were attending the temple together, it says, and, and breaking bread in their homes. Someone had to make all that bread, right? Think through all the logistics of coordinating everything that went into this. There were no shortcuts that they took. And what's true about community is that community is built over time. It's, it's built upon shared experiences. It's, it, it comes as a result of spending time together, of eating together, worshiping together, crying together, going through trials and hardships together. One of the things that Christy and I were praying through and thinking through a lot as uh, this was four years ago as we were preparing to move here. We were recognizing the reality of, of leaving our previous community and, and starting over in many ways. And the hardest thing about that, of course, is, is you know, that 
that effort of having built some community and building upon that and making friends and growing in relationship and then, and then starting over again. And a picture came to our minds that Christy often thinks kind of in, in uh, illustrations. And, and uh, I remember her saying, she's like, she said, you know, I think we have to go into this realizing that there is no such thing as microwave relationships. <laughs> There's no microwave relationships. Relationships, it, 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 they develop more like, like something cooking in a slow cooker that takes time. And in our world, we expect that things just happen so quickly, right? We expect that we can step into a church and just automatically hit it off with everyone, and all of a sudden we have this great community around us. We live in the Amazon world that if you think you need something, you just pull out your phone and find it on Amazon and click and order and it's there later that day or the next day and we just, everything is so instantaneous. But relationships and community doesn't work that way. It develops over time and, and going through life together, spending that time and shared experiences. Verse 44, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, it says. Now, what this doesn't mean is that all their interests were the same. It doesn't mean, you know, necessarily affinity groups like, um, you know, we have affinity groups for just about everything. For, for pickleball, we have tennis groups, we've got disc golf, we've got coffee connoisseurs and book clubs and restaurant clubs. There's, there's a group for just about everything. But that's not what this is talking about here. It's not that, that all their interests were all the same and they had everything in common. It's further explained in verse 45. Listen to what it says. Is that They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It meant that they were sharing what they had, even going so far as to selling some of their possessions and dividing the proceeds. The implication here is that it was more than, than just that get rid of pile that most of us have in our garage. We, we have one. It was more than just kind of giving, giving away what you didn't want to keep. But it was sacrificial giving. It was, it was giving depending on who had the need and what you, could, what you could live without, what you could give up. And you know what? One of our biggest challenges is to living out this principle of community and sharing with one another is, is the hardest thing is not so much the sharing. It's admitting when we have need, isn't it? No one likes to show their need. No one likes to show their weakness. But we all have needs at, at different times. And, and one of the things that's so hard, and I find this so hard in myself, is when I have a need and when I ask of someone or when I receive something, I automatically think that I have to repay it somehow, right away. Because we live in this world of, you know, trade-offs. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to show our need. We don't like to receive often because we feel like we have to give back. But the beauty is that we don't have to worry about being repaid or, or repaying someone because we realize that we will all have need at some time. 
and that everyone has a need, there will be an opportunity to give back, no doubt, or to pay it forward, to pass it on to somebody else. The fourth commitment is a commit to maintaining unity. A lot of people think about church life and and they might think that maybe the hardest thing might be the preaching or it might be the burdens of, of what people are going through. But you know what one of the hardest things in church life can be? Is maintaining unity. Later in Acts 4.32, it describes the believers as having one heart and soul. And what that's describing is a unity of heart. And the Apostle Paul knew how hard it was to keep unity among the believers. In Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, 3, he, he speaks about the qualities that are needed in relationship. And listen to these qualities here in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. He says, qualities of humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He wouldn't have to say, be eager to maintain the unity if it, if it was something that was easy, if it was something that happened naturally. And he knew the qualities that it would take, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, being understanding. And this is what ultimately should set us apart as believers, as our relationships, is that we do the hard work of working through conflict in a patient and understanding way, which, what does it require? It requires patience. It requires humility. And this is different than just yielding to keep the peace, because that's often what I want to do. I'm often a conflict avoider. Maybe some of you are. I think probably most of us, no, no one likes to, to go through conflict. And it's more than just yielding and just, let's just keep the peace among everybody. Often what that does, it just, it's sweeping things under the rug, isn't it? But there's hard work involved in actually working through the conflict beyond just keeping the peace. It requires speaking the truth in love, even if it hurts. It means admitting when we've done something wrong. The way that we work out our relationships, issues, and conflicts should, should, be, should be different from the way the world does it. Our world can so quickly write someone off. Someone offends me, just write that person off. Move on to someone else. Hit some bumps in the road, in our relationship. See you later. I'm moving on. Cancel. Cancel culture, right, Julie? That's not biblical relationships. Biblical relationships are committed and take the time and patience and understanding to work through issues. And ultimately, that strengthens community and it maintains the unity. Last and finally, is to commit to pointing people to Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what the church exists for. 
is to point people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you back up to verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then verse 47, it says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. There's something happening here. The world around them, the people around them are seeing God's hand at work. How God was revealing himself through these signs and through these wonders. And their love and their unity was a testimony to the people around them. And, and the people around them stood in awe, it says. They recognized that there was some kind of supernatural power at work. I believe that God does the same today. He is still doing that. He is still doing signs and wonders. It might not always be visible, but isn't it amazing how many people believe in some kind of higher power? <laughs> I'm sure you all know someone like that. They might not believe in God or trust in Jesus, but they believe that there is some higher power out there. And isn't it a wonder that people recognize God's miraculous work in the world without actually attributing it to God? That there's such unique design in creation and in, in, in human beings that demands an answer that science itself cannot explain. And in all of it, People are, are searching for meaning and purpose in this life, and they're searching for peace. They're searching for some kind of lasting peace that they cannot find. And they're going to continue to search for peace because they're not going to find it until they find it in Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 47 says. It says, Result of all of it, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In First Peter, First Peter three, the Apostle Peter exhorts believers, says, Be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Because there is a world that is searching. Your neighbors are searching. People in this community are searching. People that have come to our grief support ministry are searching for peace. They're searching for answers. And we have the hope. We have the answer. Always be prepared, it says, to give an answer for the hope that is within you. The hope of Jesus Christ. I'm going to call the team up as we close. And as they come forward, I, I want to pray over us today that we would be strengthened and renewed in our, our commitments, these commitments of, of church life and of being disciples of Jesus by his grace and in his strength, that we would be in community and unity and fellowship with one another and committing to prayer and, and being lifelong learners of God's word, receiving his promise over and over again, that we would shine his love, that the watching world would, would ask, what is it about you? Where, where do you find this joy? Where do you find this peace?
Let's pray together. God, I pray that as we commit to lifelong learning of who you are and receiving over and over again the promise of forgiveness and salvation and the promise of your your grace and your mercy and the, the hope of eternal life. God, that that would then f- that that message would flow out of us, and that as people around us watch us and 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 see our lives, that they would desire that same joy, that same peace. Ultimately, not us, but it's you. It's you living inside of us. God, may you shine in and through our hearts. And God, may your will continue to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Advance your kingdom. Strengthen your church. And strengthen these commitments that you are calling us to commit to today. In Jesus' name, amen.